Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, feed fanatics and grain geeks. Welcome to another edition of The Grain Feed, brought to you by Everag. Each week, we bring you updates on the markets with unique perspectives from an amazing team of analysts with the intention of helping livestock feeders and dairy farmers manage risk. I'm Phil Plord. Filling in for Jim Matthews this week, he's on assignment. That's the bad news. The good news is is that we have two exceptional panelists on board for the ride today. First, from somewhere in the Dallas-Fort Worth exurbs, Jake Kingsley, Everag's Director of Feed Procurement. Hey, Jake. Good morning, Phil. How are you? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. And second, from 80 miles to my west in beautiful Platteville, Wisconsin, we have Jen Wackershauser, who works with clients on feed, grain, and dairy risk management. She's a triple threat. Hey, Jen, welcome. Morning. We actually have sun to, sunshine in Wisconsin today, Phil. It is, it is something of a miracle. Paige, let's go ahead and timestamp this episode. It's just about 10 a.m. Central Time on Thursday, April 6th. Taking a quick look at markets over the past week, we have nearby corn futures trading at $6.42 per bushel, down about $0.07 cents from where we were a week ago at this time. Nearby soybeans at $14.91 up 17 cents, and soy meal around $448 per ton. That's down $12 from a week ago. Guys, two big USDA reports came out after last week's show. We got the prospective plantings report, and on the same day, we got the quarterly stocks report. Let's talk about the acres first. USDA came out with their sort of first official look at the year said we're going to plant 90.2 million corn acres. Expectations are around 90.1 million, and 92 would be about 4% more than last year. 87.5 million soybean acres, about unchanged from last year, but a little bit below expectations. Jen, what can you tell us about about how those reports landed and, and what we saw in the aftermath of the acreage report? I think the market took that as semi-bearish. I mean, took a little bit of our excitement out of that fall numbers on the grain side. Um, 92 million acres tends to be our default number, I feel like, on corn. So on years where we're kind of normal, average expectations is right about that 92 number. Um, We picked up quite a few acres in what I would call fringe areas, our southern tier states, North Dakota and South Dakota. North Dakota had our highest increase in both corn and soybean acres. So obviously they are excited about the moisture they have coming in with these snows and are planning to put that into corn and soybeans this fall or this spring. But of course, there's still snow. (laughs) There is. And that's when we've now transitioned out of this report into weather season. So um, North Dakota has a, I believe, May 31st, insurance deadline for corn, really similar to us in the upper Midwest. So we've got two months for them to thaw, get moving. And if anyone's ever watched those guys run equipment in the Dakotas, it's big flat fields with really big equipment. So give them a week of good weather and they can get that crop from about 2% planted to about 80% planted pretty fast. But from a, you know, our attention does get, all right, so we may have 92 million acres of corn, you know, whatever the numbers turn out to be, Aren't we kind of in the season now? We're going to be sitting on every crop progress report on Monday afternoons. And, you know, I mean, from where I sit, it's like, okay, we're either going to be, we're going to be too something somewhere, right? We're going to be too yep. wet. We're going to be too dry, too early, too late. 
we're kind of in that two season, and I would expect that you know we'll see some market gyrations around the around those reports week to week, right? Correct. And I think really short term we'll probably be in a range bound until really we get into the heart of May and see how that progress is going. I mean, just anecdotally from our grain team here in house, Northern Missouri, Southern Illinois, they're all doing anhydrous. They're really just starting to get into the field. So that's kind of the southernmost parts of that grain belt. So really, we've got probably three or four weeks till we really see planters getting going. I mean, we've been cold coming into this spring so far. So there's not anybody pushing to be the first guy in the field yet where traditionally sometimes we start to see that already and and that's holding us back. So yes, we're but it's not a panic by any means. So we will see a lot of volatility this time of season. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking at the forecast for next week here in southern Wisconsin, 71 degrees I see somewhere out there next week. So they're they'll be talking about getting in the fields even if it's a little bit too early. Jake, how did this planting report land in the markets that you are covering uh, in terms of uh, the base commodity markets, as well as especially the basis markets? Really, it was pretty quiet as far as the basis portion of our, our feed pricing goes. I think we're still pretty early. It seems like the numbers that the USDA printed were, for the most part, expected or near to expected. Um, and so it didn't really affect old crop basis too much. It's been fairly stagnant. I think the thing we're watching probably on old crop primarily in corn was that string of sales to China. Um, and if they continue to buy up U.S. grain, I think that could be supportive to the remainder of our old crop corn basis. Whereas on the protein side, they've they've been pretty steady. I wouldn't say quiet, but they've been steady. Um, and we've seen the Canadian canola balance sheet rebound quite a bit from where it was expected to be back just as recently as December or maybe January. Um, quite a bit of an improvement there. So I think there's been some, we had some opportunity to do some pricing on old crop and get that stuff out of the way, but this report didn't have a huge effect on that stuff. Kind of was probably the most interesting thing is that we printed a 92 million acre corn number and still found support at 630 old crop May futures and and 550, 560 December futures there. So that was pretty interesting for as big of a number as we've printed. Uh, so like Jenny said, it all comes down to the weather and, and how this crop comes together. Do we get 175, 180 bushel yield to really prove out what's being forecasted today? Then I think once we start to head that direction and really prove this out a little bit, you could see some numbers start to slide pretty healthily. Um, until then, a little bit of patience. From the new crop side, again, it's just too early. The, the interesting piece there is that we're seeing more new crop offers in the western part of the U.S. in the destination feed markets. Um, those guys are pretty readily offering out feed values for new crop clock contracts, whereas in the Midwest, the heart of the grain belt, it's kind of tough to get any kind of a, a real value to put in front of these dairies and I think that just goes to kind of show some of these bigger players in the industry that have assets both in the Midwest and at the other end of the rail lines are willing to take a little bit of a chance, maybe pad their margin profit margins a little bit should uh, we get a good crop, come in somewhere close to average if we get an average or a little below average crop, whereas these smaller regional cooperatives and mom and pop elevators 
don't have quite the appetite for that kind of risk. So they're a little closer to the vest until we really start to prove out this crop. And one of the things I think that plays into that, Jen and Jake, is is the amount of grain that's in storage and where that grain is sitting. And that was the other big USDA number last week was around stocks in all positions. Uh, the report showed 7.4 billion bushels of corn in storage as of March 1st. That was below expectations for 7.47 billion. Uh, on the bean side, 1.68 billion in storage compared to 1.74 expectations. But even more interestingly, right, Jen, we saw where that corn is sitting, it seems to be sitting a little bit more on the farm side and on the commercial side at the moment. Exactly. And we've seen that trend over probably the last five to 10 years. The amount of on-farm storage that's been built has made it, I think, that much tougher for the USDA to really peg how much grain is sitting out there. And it makes it probably harder and harder for us to rectify that end of year production number as we move through the year. We've been under the assumption for a while here that farmers are sitting on grain and don't like the price and haven't been letting it go. And really the that kind of stocks number says, well, maybe they are. Maybe we just didn't have quite the crop that has been estimated last fall. And I think to uh, Jake's conversation on basis, there is part of that conversation in the Midwest is if the grain sellers aren't letting go of some of that grain, then those feed mills can't be aggressive offers out to the dairymen because they don't have enough bought or don't have enough contracted farther out to feel comfortable to do that. So I think that quarterly stocks number put a little extra support in that near term and probably put some support into the fall number because it proves our balance sheet is still very tight. And we have to prove out that Brazil's got the crop that it looks like they have in the field as they come out of harvest and that the U.S. can grow the crop that we have pegged with 92 million acres, we still have to see a close to trend line yield to really build back that balance sheet into an abundant balance sheet going into fall. Jake, from a feed perspective, right? I mean, the feed mills, I mean, at a very high level, have to bid that that grain out of storage and get it to town, right? I mean, at some at some point, that may be the case, right? That's right. I mean, they've they've got to get a hold of this stuff to get it in the hands of the dairymen, and I think. I think probably our primary concern with, as Jenny said, you know, there there's potential for some inaccuracy and some shifting in numbers late in the season due to this growing on-farm storage capacity. I think it's just going to add further volatility now to potentially the basis portion of feed pricing here. It could go either way, you know. Is there more corn in the bins than we expected and we catch a late season break in basis? I know we've had quite a few birds uh, removed from the flock due to the avian influenza. And so some of those folks had some corn spoken for that maybe is now not going to be used. So do we get a splash of corn there? Does the flooding in California uh, end up requiring greater corn demand that we see a pop higher in basis? I think there's a risk for real volatility there after we had fairly a flat line basis number for quite a while this year. So let's talk about dairy for a minute or two, Jen. Uh, you know, we had barrel cheddar cheese at $1.55, blocks got it down around $1.80, then all of a sudden we woke up two weeks later and we were at $2.10 on blocks, approaching $2 on barrels. That didn't seem very solid. And sure enough, within, you know, just waited a week and all of a sudden we're back down, you know, 20, 30 cents on these markets. You know, some near-term opportunities that dairy farmers were able to jump on. Did it really move the needle 
for our clients over the longer term. Now, we've really seen a lack of action in the second half. Those of us who write DRP policies in our office, you know, it's kind of a running joke. It's the same price almost every day for quarter three, quarter four. We have very small variation in price. And yet April has traded a $2 window in a short period of time as we've worked through that cheese trade. Because again, front month has to follow that. It has to respect the math of what our spot trade is. But you could tell in that forward curve, it wasn't trusting that move there. And we got that a little bit, you know, on our commercial insight sides, they were talking to the industry and we, we heard a lot of guys say, there's cheese out there to be found and there's product. And I think there's still that overabundance of milk in our, especially the Midwest um, area where we hear anecdotal stories of milk being dumped on weekends because they can't get it hauled. They're like different stories that continue to push that we have an abundance of milk and are struggling still on capacity within the plants and the ability to move that milk maybe where it's needed. We're not overproducing product because of that. And I think it just feels like we're a little bit in balance, but we are just going to have these short-term spikes of like coming short on needs in one place, kind of too much product in another place. So it's a lot of volatility on the short term that's not showing much to us in the forward curve for opportunities. So I think we did have some people that were able to jump on the $20 or high $19 train for April that, you know, for the few minutes that it lasted. Jake, on the cost side of things, you know, we see meal trading below 450. I mean, that's better than where it was from a feeder perspective. I mean, are we were we able are we able to capture some value there, you think, as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we had a lot of folks come in and snag some some soybean meal futures around that four thirty-five-ish type of mark. I still think May at four forty-five is a very respectable number to to price some stuff out if you haven't already, for at least for April, May. At the end of the day, that balance sheet is still thin. Argentina has had a very lackluster crop down there. Uh, we have no idea what we're going to actually get out of Ukraine as far as their sun meal production. So, yeah, I mean, we're at, at the end of the day, we're $50, $50 off the highs. That's a pretty nice break, really. All right, Jen and Jake, that's going to be a wrap for today's show. Thanks to the stats crew at Everag Insights for the data and charts. Kudos to Corey, our coordinating producer, for making the trains run on time. And thanks especially to Paige, our media magician, for making us all look good. Last but not least, thanks to our viewers for tuning in. As Jim likes to say, we love your feedback. Contact information is on the screen.